Today I'm going to give my homily on preaching, which actually I've done this in various forms under different titles. In our second reading today, St. Paul is speaking to the Corinthians, and he says, Brothers and sisters, if I preach the gospel, this is no reason for me to boast, for an obligation has been imposed upon me, and woe to me if I do not preach it. So we hear that, and we go, okay, well, good for you, St. Paul, you go and preach it. That's awesome. Good for you, pat, pat, pat. But St. Paul isn't saying, I like to preach, that's why I preach, I just, I can't get enough of this preaching stuff. No, St. Paul will go on to explain later on, he'll say, listen, for my, my effort, for my preaching, for my evangelization, etc., this is what I've got as a reward. I get to be spurned by men, I get to be despised, I get to be arrested, I get to be stoned, I get to be shipwrecked, I get to be lashed with whips, and ultimately I get to be beheaded because I preach. So before we go saying, you, you're preaching because that's what you like to do, St. Paul. That's your gifts and your skill set. Good for you. It's not for me, but it's for you. No, it's not. That's just a selfish, peevish, little childish lie. And we do that because we want to remove the responsibility for preaching and put it upon someone else. Put it upon the saints, put it upon our priests, just somebody other than me. Just God forbid that I should ever have to preach to a family member or to somebody in the church or somebody at work or anywhere else. I just, I get to give myself the right to neglect the preaching of the gospel. And Jesus is happy with me. No, he's not. The thing is, is we're all called to preach. And some people right here at an ambo, yes, okay, but that's very rare. What we're all called to do is to preach at home amongst our spouse, with our spouse, to our children, to our grandchildren, to our siblings, to our parents, to people in the church, to people at work, etc. To find opportunities and times to preach the gospel. But we don't like to do it. We don't like to do it for the same reasons why St. Paul didn't like to do it. Because others won't like us. That's why everyone wants to fit in and go with the wide, broad, easy road that leads, as Jesus says, to perdition. And very few want the narrow, difficult road. And when we preach, it like, like takes us off the broad, easy road and out of the narrow, difficult one. And nobody wants to do that. And they'd love to be ignorant and say, well, nobody ever told me any better. So, you know, it's not my fault that I got to enjoy my life. Or so people think. But then they die, and then they stand before God, and then there's a terrible moment of judgment there. Spiritual works of mercy. Of the seven spiritual works of mercy, three of them have something to do with preaching. The first is instruct the ignorant. The second is admonish sinners. And the third is counsel the doubtful. We're like, okay, maybe I could counsel the doubtful, maybe, but instruct the ignorant? You mean like people who don't know how to read and write and don't know how to do math, that kind of ignorance? Or like religious ignorance? And then none of us like admonish the sinner. Who, what, what the heck? If I do that, they won't like me. Yeah, I know. They didn't like St. Paul either. And they didn't like Jesus and the apostles and the saints. But that didn't stop them. And they did it for their good. We have an an obligation that's been placed upon us by God to preach the gospel. Every one of us. And I know it's hard, and God knows it's hard too. And we think, well, even if I 
had the courage to do it, I don't have the words. I don't, I don't know what to say. So we try. We try. There are certain people who, will be, who are better teachers and whatever speakers than other people, to be sure. But then we don't have to be a good teacher or a speaker to bring about the conversion of another person. What we have to be are people who try. That's the key, to try. I've been able to read the lives of many saints, and one of the things that they all have in common is they get other people to convert. They get other people who are already converted to convert even deeper and to become even holier and better people. Of those saints, very few are naturally gifted speakers or preachers kind of thing. Some of them don't ever preach at all. They just lie in bed with their stigmata or whatever, and somehow people are compelled to conversion because of that. But the one thing that they all have in common is that they try to the best of their ability. And in trying is where the grace is. God isn't going to reward any one of us if there isn't a risk. If there's no risk, there's no reward. So it's when we're risking something, risking being liked, or risk maybe not getting a promotion at work, or risk maybe a family member who won't talk to me for the next week or month or year. There's a risk. And when God sees the risk, that we're taking a risk for him and for love of our neighbor to save our neighbor, then God will respond with grace. He will. The other is this, that we think, well, okay, all right, Father, that sounds good. But the thing is, is every time I talk to my husband about him blowing off God and not going to Mass or just fill in the blank, whoever I'm talking about in your life, and you know them, then they get upset with me, and it doesn't do any good, and it just alienates and hurts our relationship kind of thing. And I kind of wonder, how clear have you been about that? Because it's very rare in which a conversion will happen in front of our face. That's very rare. You know, somebody says, Oh, Father, I took your advice. I told my wayward son that he's living a very sinful life and that he needs to repent and, and to go to confession and return to Mass and to pray every day. And, and you know what, Father? He agreed and he, he went right off to the confessional and did it. That just never happens like that. But what happens is we preach the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ to somebody they hear it, they resent having heard it, they have a grudge against you now, but the seed has been sown. And by the grace of God, it might be that a year from now, they're not fully converted, but at least they took a baby step a year from now, a baby step they wouldn't have taken had you never preached to them. Or maybe it's 30 years from now, And they go, you know, I know what my mother told me. I know that was true. Oh, I treated her badly. I know it was true, though. Jesus, I'm in a really bad place right now. I don't know. I don't, I've blown you off. I've disrespected you my whole life. But please help me now. Because mom said something 30 years ago. Mom never said anything 30 years ago. There's the revolver. Yeah, this isn't worth it. So the outcome is almost never in front of us. Almost never in front of us. But if we put forth some effort and try something, especially with the risk involved, then by the grace of God, God can do the rest. God can do the rest. 
A story I already shared with you some time ago. Monk, he goes to this hospital. He's got this hospital chaplaincy kind of thing. This man's dying of something. He goes into the room. He knows he's a Catholic and and, uh, comes in. The man sees him. The man says, get out of here. And then he does it. He sits in the chair by the door. And then the man, minutes later, still sees him down there at the bottom of his feet. What are you still doing here? I told you to get out. The priest says, oh, well, I've never seen anyone go to hell before. I thought I'd stick around. (laughs) And that was it. The man just completely, his whole disposition disposition changed. He, He became calm. He stopped being angry. And then he started to talk to the priest. The priest would leave the room a half an hour later, having heard his confession and given him the last rites. Because the priest had the courage to preach. He had the courage to speak the truth to this person in love. Had the priest not done it and just ran off because, oh, he doesn't want to hear it, there's another soul for the enemy, for eternity, for eternity. This last week I've had two different parents tell me that their young daughter was going to have an abortion. One young woman did not, and another one went through with it and did. What, do the parent, what does the parent do in this situation? What does the parent do in this situation? They know they need to try. What they do, God only knows. But what we know for sure is that we need to try to just simply say, oh, I, uh, well, I still love you, baby. And that isn't a good answer. That's not what even a child would say if they knew that you were going to take the life of another child. They'd say, don't do it. Don't do it. It's a baby. I don't call you a body, and we don't call babies fetuses. They're babies and they're human beings. Don't do it. Well, but I already put $100 down the deposit. Here's $100. But I don't want to raise the child. I can't raise I'll raise the child. I know a million couples who would love to raise your baby. But, but there's no buts. If you do this, you'll regret it for the rest of your life. You'll regret it. And they may do it or they may not. And even if they go through it and do it, Maybe that conversation that you had saves the second baby from the same fate. When the second unplanned pregnancy comes along, then they think, I'm not going to do it this time. I'm not going to do it this time. Because of what dad or mom said to me, or my brother or sister, or that friend said to me, that true friend who told me the truth when none of my other friends would, I'm not going to do it. Or maybe, maybe it's 20 years down the road, Because of what that person said, I went through a powerful conversion. And now I'm helping other women not to make that same decision. But somebody had to preach the truth to me. So, how do we do this? Well, there's no one-size-fits-all, because we're all different people, have different ways of communicating. But I know this, that we're all called to prayer, daily prayer. Well, I pray before my meal. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Of course God wants us to pray before a meal, but I actually dedicated time every day for prayer with God. And spiritual reading daily. Well, I don't have time for that. 
you have time to look at your smartphone 100 times a day? Do you have time to have the TV set on? Then we have time for spiritual reading. We just need to make the time. And then penances. And this is what separates the saints from the rest of us. They're constantly doing penances for their sins, eh, not so much, but for ours, yes. And so with their diet, they're doing penances. You can do simple penances, but these penances is the grace that, that through the effort, whatever the effort might be, brings about the conversion in another. And so if you have cream or sugar with your coffee, maybe you forgo cream and sugar. Bitter. Bitter. No, no complaining. Nobody knows about it but God. You offered it to God as a little penance. And believe me, that's a teeny tiny penance. Could be other things, fasting, etc. Denying yourself a sweet. No snacks today at all. Exercise. It's good for all of us. Most of us don't like it and most of us don't do it. What if you did it for Jesus? You're not even just doing it for yourself. I'm going to get down on the carpet, Jesus. I'm going to do this for you. That's a penance. Just truly given out of love to save some soul. Or sleep. We all like, oh, no, sleep. It's sacrosanct. I can't, I, can't, I can't budge on that one. Some of the saints would sleep like two hours a night. That's all the sleep they got. And then they toiled for 22 hours. Some nights I get eight hours of sleep, and some nights I don't. I get six. And I thank God for the six. Although I know it's not enough. I can't do that night after night and still make it. Or even just to sleep on the floor. I'll do this to save one baby tonight. Showers. Do they always have to be warm, hot, and comfortable? Or could they be lukewarm and even occasionally cold? A pebble in the shoe. Just put a little pebble down there. Nobody knows. It hurts, smarts every time you walk. Maybe there's even a little limp and you hide it from other people. These are all these little grace-filled penances. And there's a thousand more where they came from. But these are the kinds of things that when we do it, then we find the grace necessary to preach the gospel. And then, just as importantly, there's power in what we're saying. Even if what we're saying is nothing special. St. John Vianney, the patron saint of parish priests, People would say, oh man, he's just a phenomenal preacher, etc. And this other priest was visiting his parish and said, I was really looking forward to hearing what he had to say. And it was his catechesis or something. And he said, well, this is another thing other people said. was like, well, we could barely hear him. Sound familiar? We could barely hear him. He, he, he lost all of his teeth and he was, there was no sound system. And this is way before they even had the idea of a sound system. And they're all just straining to hear what he said. And before you know it, everyone's crying. Why are they all crying? Why are they all converted? Because that man did mighty penances. Mighty penances. Denied himself left and right and worked like a slave. Mighty penances. And the grace of God broke through. So he could say the same thing that you or I would say. But the outcome would be profoundly different. Because he was a holy man so holy as to pray always and to do penances every day. And through that, God worked miracles in the lives of other people. I conclude with this. 
Jesus is off doing his thing. He's uh, preaching the gospel, curing the sick, casting out demons, all this. He's being thronged by people. He's exhausted by being around people. He gets away. He goes into the desert to pray all alone. Simon Peter, he'll hunt him down with some of the other apostles and find out where he is. And they find him and they say to him, everyone's looking for you. Jesus knows everyone's looking for him. In fact, Jesus knew when Simon started on his little walk to find him. Because Jesus is God, he saw Simon and the others walking to get to him, to tell him this silly little thing, everyone's looking for you. What they're saying is, will you come and be with us? Will you stop spending time alone and, and like hang out with us? We want you to hang out with us. That's what they're really saying. And Jesus, in his fatigue, his exhaustion, says, Let us go to the nearby villages, that I may preach there also. For this purpose have I come. And thank God he did it. Thank God he did it. May God help us to do the same.